What's up, NBA fans? This is the NBA Second Stringers NBA podcast, and uh, what a day today. I woke up super excited to, you know, potentially finally see the end of most of the first round as of today, uh, with the Lakers potentially ending the series against the Blazers and OKC in Houston really playing to break that tiebreaker. And what a what a roller coaster of emotions for an NBA fan. I think the last few few months and you know then we got everything that's been happening the boycott the the shooting in wisconsin uh the reactions uh and it's a very heavy political climate time that we're living in right now with the rnc convention happening this week the dnc convention happening last week a lot of rhetoric being thrown around and a lot of political viewpoints being expressed some false some true but you know that's for another day but what is happening right now in the NBA and really across the whole sports world is the boycotts led by the Milwaukee Bucks uh, and then later trickling down to the rest of the NBA. And, and the best way, I think, to break everything that's going on down is into two things here that we have planned is first is what, what is going on? You know, what is happening and what's next? What What's next? We don't know factually what's next. Uh, it's such an unprecedented time, but we'll discuss where we think things could go and our thoughts on where we think, you know, things should go. Um, but I think really breaking this all down for myself when I've started seeing all this happen is instead of reacting to it, I, I try to understand it. And I think one word that came to mind for me was the word em- empathy and being empathetic of what is happening and the way people are feeling about this specifically uh, in the NBA context and specifically to the players, when you really break down who the NBA players are, um, it's it's unique in that the NBA is sort of this multi, multi-million dollar company that has a product, but it's, it's a unique product. It's not like an iPhone. It's not like uh, a piece of furniture. It's it's human-driven product. It's, it's performance-driven. It's athletic-driven. It's driven by very talented people who are human and complex and and have backgrounds and thoughts and opinions and I think the word empathy here is important because we need to realize that these are people who have emotions and have feelings and opinions and and they feel things and when you look at the demographics of this of our league is 75% of the players are black african american uh they come from stretches of background that are similar to a lot of the police shootings and police brutalities that have been happening across this country. So it's only natural that they react in the way they've reacted. And I think as fans and as people who love sports and love what the NBA has given us, I think it's important to be empathetic and understand the historical points, the historical climates of race in our country and the current events and how those tie together and how those also tie together with the demographics of the league Um, And I think J.B. Bickerstaff said it best here, I think, in this tweet, is if you can watch, cheer, celebrate, and share in their pain on the court, you should share in their path and their pain off the court and show empathy for them. If you value them as human beings, acknowledge that they are hurting. And I think that's, that's a huge point there. And I hope that I'm being the best and being empathetic towards what they're what the NBA players are feeling and I definitely respect everything that they they've done to today and their calls and I'm definitely disappointed of course as a fan to not have the games but understanding and respect their their choices um so that's my those are my thoughts Sean and you know I'll give you the stage I definitely would love to hear yours 
Yeah, for sure. Alan. I think that was just really well put. First things first, I think you have a really good approach to how we should be viewing this. And you look on social media comments and, and you look at kind of the reactions that you've seen around the world, really just around everywhere, um, just to what has been transpiring here just throughout this day today. And it, it, a lot of it is knee jerk. A lot of it is is based purely on emotion and how you feel like yourself as a person. And I think you're totally like, we can't see this from our own point of view. Um, a lot of the, the hateful comments that I see about this movement is that these are just millionaire athletes like that just want to go back to their mansions and do nothing. Or they're just like, you're, you're paid to play a game. So why should we listen to you? And it's just, it that is the thing. Like if we're empathetic, we should be looking at this from the entire perspective. It's like, Yes, they are millionaires, a lot of them, but they worked so hard to get to where they're at. Like, if you just listen to some of the stories, are you able to know, like, the backgrounds that they came from? Like, I listened to a pod on, on the Waj pod. I listened to DeAndre Ayton's upbringing um, and his coming to America, and he had nothing when he came here. And sure, he was gifted with having superior size and strength than a lot of people, but from age 12 on like through 18 like he was basically treated like crap and he had nothing to his name and he worked for everything he got and that i think is this the narrative that you'll see for a lot of these nba players and just because they have wealth now doesn't mean they don't understand and they don't share in the pain like you said with jb bickerstaff's quote of these people that are just in the streets getting shot getting killed like this really does drive home for a lot of them. And then if you have this platform that you really are very gifted to have, you would feel remiss to not do something about it, to just continue playing the game as if that was all that was happening in your life right now. Um, even seeing it in a microcosm in Paul George's situation where it's like, it's so hard to just focus on basketball right now with, everything that's going on and that's not to say that he was in a depressed state because of the social injustice it might have been more family or more personal related but there's just so much more than the sport right now and as, as NBA fans obviously it helps us kind of process and deal with what we deal with on an everyday basis to watch these guys play basketball but these these are humans like we have to understand that and as humans I feel like I would be in the same boat as them I would I would want to do something about it now I think with the next steps that need to be taken after this, that's going to be interesting. And that's definitely um, the points that I'd like to discuss with you and see what, I guess maybe after we go over all the points, see what makes the most sense to both of us at the end of the conversation. Yeah, I think so. And I really like the points that you touched on there, Sean. I'm like, these guys are gifted, but sort of a guy like DeAndre Jordan with his background, take his case specifically. He's a millionaire now. And he was, you know, the one in a, in a million who had the physical gift to take that step into the NBA. There's no way in hell that people that were, did not have those one in a million chances are in the same and that grew up in the same boat as him are not on his mind. And 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 mm -hmm. I'm sure that's like reflective in some of these news stories that he sees and he hears and those thoughts come to mind. So I think, of course, these of course, these players want to stand up for their communities. Of course, these players want to want to make an action to help 
help their communities in whatever way they do. And we see them do it. We see them do it time in and time out. Like it's not ignore the fact that they are huge members of the community. But I think with this specifically, it gets a little more complex when we talk about next steps in terms of the political process and all that. But I think, yeah, I think when you really look at this situation, I think we do have to, I guess, state what, how this all started and it stems Mm -hmm. from the shooting of Jacob Blake, African-American man that was shot in the back seven times by a police officer while he was leaning into his vehicle. Um, It was an attempted arrest. Of course, the officer felt the need to shoot him. Uh, The facts behind that situation is, is in the video. So you can take that for context. Is there missing pieces? I'm sure there probably are what those are, who knows, but I think the point really is, that a man shouldn't have to lose his his life after the original call being an alleged domestic violence dispute, which is, I mean, obviously is a crime, but again, the point is, is death really the the punishment here? Um, but you know, moving from there, it's it's sort of the community reacted, and we had you know protests, um, and then you had a young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, walked around. The, the city passed the curfew hours, four hours past the curfew with an illegal weapon, the AR-15, and killed two people, you know, and, and injured one. And and I think he was, this guy was pretty blunt with his politics and where he stood. And it's just kind of, this he's just added more gas to this fuel and it's just really rubbed the whole, I think the whole sports world, including me and you, Sean, probably, in, in, the, wrong, in the wrong way. And, um, and again, this is this is this this is the situation, and and the reaction has been the boycott, and it's a it's a reaction that I res- I respect a lot from the players. Yeah, for sure, and it's just yeah, it's just so hard to continue to hear these stories, and it's like, it's honestly a miracle that this guy, this Jacob Blake, is still alive, and but like they're saying he's probably going to be paralyzed for life. Uh, but man, just any attempt at a life, basically, like shooting someone in the back seven times. I'm not an expert on it. It seems pretty excessive to me. Like he could easily be dead and then we'd have another martyr for the cause, which honestly he ended up becoming one anyway, even though he's still alive, thankfully. But then you have these other people that were killed by just a random civilian who felt strongly about the issue and felt the need to take it into his own hands. That That is just awful. Like I don't care which way you put it. You cannot go out and just shoot people for what they believe in. That That is... I don't care what they did. That is not okay. Just putting that out there. But yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, after all that, it led to the Raptors and Celtics players after hearing this news, considering boycotting Saturday's game. And we heard that yesterday and we're like, oh, wow, like that's that's a pretty big deal. Like, I wonder if they're actually going to do it. And then this morning we wake up, we're like, hey, we're, we're going to do the podcast. It's going to be like normal first round preview, you know, it's, it's going to be really fun. And then the Bucks don't show up on the court. Uh, it's like three minutes before tip off, and you're like, "Oh, wow! Like, is this happening right now? Or are they like actually considering boycotting the game?" And then you find out, yeah, like they're actually doing it. It was sparked by George Hill, who was the first person to bring that up in that locker room, and that effectively was the first domino that 
led to the postponement of not just the NBA playoffs, but the whole WNBA season is now postponed. Some MLB games were postponed. Um, The Brewers versus the Reds was the first one, um, a domino for the MLB. And now Naomi Osaka, the pro tennis player, is not playing in her tennis match tomorrow. Um, So this is resonating not just with in the NBA field, but now it's really reaching all these other sports as well. And and you wonder how much farther it's going to reach. Yeah, and also a shout out the MLS as well, who also mm. teams LAFC and Galaxy also started boycotting their their games, and that domino piece has also fallen there. And I think it's an unprecedented time, really, where you look at the the history of sports and and how it aligns with protests and civil and civil movements, and you always get a glimpse of one person, one team, or you know just this one small group doing something, and. The, the, the fact that today it was just across the board is unheard of. And John, we were talking about this before hitting the record button is we are literally living in a chapter of a book right now and we don't know the conclusion of it. We don't know the result of it. And it's, it's exciting in a way. And it's, and it's also just a very interesting time. And it also makes me just sort of reflect on what has happened before in the past and the fact that everything has just been sort of, boycotted but there hasn't been a strong backlash from a sponsor and we haven't seen a strong backlash uh from from league executives or league ownership so that kind of just speaks uh how much further we've moved as a society in terms of like where we see sports and in in the political in the politics of today's world is we don't long we no longer really strike i mean there are still hateful comments across social media and I'm sure there's some newscasters with strong opinions on TV right now, but the fact that it's not coming internally right now within the sports leagues, I think is pretty pretty unprecedented as well. And uh, I think it, if we take a positive note, that's one to take for t- for today to see that it seems like everybody's at least for now everybody's got each other, everybody has each other's back. Yeah, and I think that is something that we've really applauded with the NBA. A lot of people have applauded with the NBA is that the players do come first. And that's something that you don't really see in baseball. It's not something you really see in football. Like ownership seems to just command whatever happens in those leagues. But the NBA, it's different. Um, So there's going to be a board of governors meeting scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, It's going to be tomorrow morning, I believe. And they're going to try to figure out what the next steps are. But right now it appears unlikely games will happen tomorrow. They'll likely be postponed too so they can sort everything out. Um, and then that, that is really part of the large narrative of all the players having a meeting together, trying to decide on next moves tonight. Um, nothing really became of it because it's like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to de- figure out what, like, all you know is that you don't want to play basketball right now. Like that makes so much sense to me, but then it's going to take so much more time to figure out what you want to do. Um, they basically did a little poll in the meeting, I guess, where the Lakers and Clippers said that they didn't want to continue playing the rest of the NBA season uh, while the rest of the NBA teams actually said they did want to continue the season, um, which, which is fine. It's more just of like what, what they were feeling. And obviously LeBron has a lot of sway in those LA teams. It seems um, it, it's just, yeah, it just shows that they, we don't really know where to go next. Yeah, exactly. And I think where you go next is, is kind of complicated. And I think it should be thought out because this is an unprecedented moment again, and these moments don't come very often. So what you do next is so important. And I mean, just to get a, a, a feel for what occurred in that 
meeting, that vote, that poll. I think Keith, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports tweeted this out. He said, one NBA player told me it wasn't really a vote. Those guys, the Clippers and Lakers, just made it clear that they don't want to play right now, but none of us want to play right now. It's too much to take in. And then it's too much to take in and then play a game at this moment. We all need a day to figure stuff out. And I think it's it's just the emotions are raw. The emotions are high. They're they're real. Uh, and to try to come up with some complex plan that takes everything into account and, you know, foreshadows the right and or what could be the right scenario and the wrong scenario is just too much to try to do in a day. And uh, so I think things are, are noisy and they're muddy, but. So the fact that the two best teams in the NBA, the two teams that we think are going to be in the Western Conference Finals, are leading this, uh, it's it's crazy. I mean, I did not think that. I did not think that I would be seeing that. Uh, you know, the Lakers have a good chance to you know add another title. The Clippers to get their first title ever. Um, it's kind of crazy because these moments don't happen very often. And LeBron James, I think, understands that very well. That you don't often have a team the way the way the team is looking right now. Right, for sure. And just it's from LeBron's perspective, like obviously the the title means a lot in for for his career, for like who, how well he does at his job. But I think he feels and he's always felt like this and he's he's enjoyed having this platform that's larger than life that he has this sway and he feels like he can do something positive with it. And I don't blame him for wanting to cancel the season because that would make a very emphatic statement. Uh, obviously, who knows what the implications would actually be for that. They'd have to sort through all the details. But yeah, it's just it does show how messy that it all is. Because you had Udonis Haslam, I think, st- stand up in the middle of this and be like, okay, if the Lakers and Clippers don't play, like, can we even have a season? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and, and it was just like silence. Like, it's like, I, like, no idea. Like, what do you even do? You know, like, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think about. Yeah, I mean, the the league collectively is only going to be as strong as its strongest pieces. That's what people tune in and that's what people want. And if you don't have the two best teams out there, you don't have the best player in the NBA out there. You don't have, you know, you're basically missing out three of the top five players in the, in the, in the world mm-hmm. right now in Kawhi, Anthony Davis, and LeBron. And I mean, right. and it's not just that. It's not just the skill set. It's also... I mean, LeBron has been in this league for, what is it, six, 15, 12 years, 13 years or something? 15 years. 15 years. And 17 This years? guy, I, I got to gotta think, commands respect. And, I mean, if he if he feels super strongly about one way, I think it's it, – I'm sure it trickles down in, into uh, into the seats of other players. And, I mean, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good question to bring up. I mean, it's a collective unit, and if you don't have two of the best ones out there, it, it sort of feels a bit empty, I'm sure, to, to the players and for sure the fans. I mean, I'm definitely – would be in that – I'll definitely carry that thought. Um, but in terms of what's happening next, so that's that's sort of the big question now is what, what do the players do to capitalize on this moment that uh, – it, it's unprecedented again, even though <laughs> just a couple months ago something similar like this was happening with the, with the mm-hmm. summer league – with this bubble in huge danger of actually coming back. Uh and now here we here we are at these crossroads again. And here are my thoughts. I think it's super unlikely, and I think this isn't pretty. This is pretty agreeable. I think that it's super unlikely, of course, that the players can achieve some sort of legislative change within a reasonable time that fits this bubble season. Like to say we're not coming back until 
uh, some legislation that holds police accountable gets passed. Like that is just so unrealistic uh, given the time frames and just how slow the U.S. government just moves. And I think that's a whole discussion for another point. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, it COVID release payments just have taken forever to get signed. And I don't think the NBA players can possibly realistically achieve that. So then it's like, what can they realistically achieve? I think one of them is ask the attorney general of Wisconsin to prosecute the officer or at the very least arrest him and, and have a fair trial where where we where collectively the, the community can look at the facts and and really just let the justice system work at the very least. Uh, two is push ownership groups in the NBA to participate and move political points that are actually reflective of the NBA players, uh, their viewpoints and their cares and and their needs. And entirely, of course, there's always room for debate there. But at the very least, you know, get everybody on the same page. And I think an example of that is Steve Ballmer really putting himself out there in his support of a bill that just passed a month ago from Congresswoman Karen Bass of the LA of an of district and down in LA is she pushed the bill to to hold to make it easier to hold police accountable and right now that's pending hearing for the Senate floor and you know again it's a reflection of just how slow the political process unfortunately can move sometimes in our country is you can demand action and you've got congress people moving forward but it just it got, it's got to go through the process. Um, and I think those two are the first big things that come to mind for me in terms of like what the players can push for next. Right. And then there was that other report too, that um, during while the bucks were in the locker room before that, the game that was supposed to happen, they were actually calling the Wisconsin governor, Tony Evers um, to see what he can do um, to help this situation. And, and he ended up calling a special session of the state legislator uh, to urge lawmakers to vote on a police reform legislation package that's like the one that you're talking about with Bomber has been just sitting for a long time being waited to vote on, I think for at least over a month at this point. And that, that was per uh, Ramona Shelburne's tweet um, earlier today. So it does seem like that that is something that they are able to do. Um, are They're able to have that big enough of a platform to be able to incite a little more movement you know, because obviously they're just really impatient with how everything is going here. And I can't blame them. Yeah, I think that's politics. Yeah. Impatience is fair. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Super impatient. I mean, who, who wouldn't be honestly at this point when this is something that's affected you for this long? And it's just I don't I don't know what it is. Obviously, I'm not a politician, you know, like that's just how the process goes. And obviously you have people trying to delay it so that they can put their own pieces of legislation in there that they want to do. It's just, there's too many hands in the pot with a lot of these things. And it just really is too bad because everyone wants their selfish ambitions um, as a part of any of these bills. It's the human condition, man. Like we, we can't, we refuse to do something if it doesn't affect us positively. Like we just don't see the benefit of it. So we don't try hard enough like as hard as we should to help out other people that we are completely disconnected from. Right. And, and it goes back to, well, what is the player's biggest weapon here? Their biggest weapon is just what every, all of us kind of have access to. And that's just pressure. Um, I mean, it's not the same, right? Because the players have all the multi-million dollars and, but that's what it is. It's just applying pressure and capitalizing on this moment to push that pressure, push that pressure 
and not do it by themselves, but align with the ownerships and align with the NBA and whether or not that actually happens. That's the big question here is what, what does happen? Like, so the NBA supports the boycotts and supports the players feelings, but do they support the players with, you know, quote unquote, with their, with their wallet uh, and with their, with their Mm -hmm. political power and their, and their influence, like do the, does the league get out there and start, you know, endorsing candidates or endorsing bills. Like, I'm not sure if that will completely happen, but if that does that, that will be huge. That would be huge. That would be like a best case scenario, I think in a player's eyes. And at this, and the other side too is ownership. Like what does ownership do? Like, I th- I feel like the, what will end up happening is, you know, in the neutral, the neutral response will just be, you know, millions of dollars to charities, which is also great I don't want to take that away from it, but I think what the players really want and ultimately what would be the best case is ownership doesn't just donate to charities, but also applies that political pressure uh, to to maybe you start off regionally in just Wisconsin to get police le- reform legislation pushed. And if you get the NBA and the ownership and the players on the same page, then I think you have some real some real influence and some real pressure to drive change. Yeah, no, I totally agree. One of the things that with this whole situation that is really bothered me is that like, I guess obviously it has to be politically involved, but that it's involved as a left versus right thing. Yeah. Like all of this is considered like left media. And it's like, since when did being not a racist mean you had to be on the left or the right? Because at this point, it seems to me like if you're on the left, you're just like only for black people and that's all you care about. And if you're on the right, you're a racist. Like, why does it have to be like that? Like it just, it just really pisses me off, honestly, to see like all these comments on social media of people just trashing each other, like on all these different news story posts when it's like, guys, like, let's just not be racist. Like, how is that too much to ask? You know, it just doesn't make sense to me how this story, which should just be about social injustice with no partisan s- standards, has become a, like a left versus right thing. And that is like, I, I just, I don't understand it. I really don't. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Sean. I And I think a lot of people are uh, in terms of like, yeah, you're right. Like when does, you know, somebody being so bad at their job that it results in almost killing a man become a left versus right when does racism because why did racism become a left versus right in this current climate and i think that's the frustration felt across the country not just obviously in the sports world and with this case this case in particular but rather a lot of issues also across across the spectrum and it's frustrating and and i think that's 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 one of the it's important to bring that up i'm glad you did because that's one of the beasts that the nba players have to try to navigate you know when trying to when trying to ask for what they want and it, and it's police reform and, and that's one of the beasts, right? It's the left versus right mm-hmm. media bipolarship world that we're living in right now that are, they're going to take things out of context, uh, you know, to push their, their, their narrative, the narrative that has continued to fit their, their consistent show and the left will do the same, the right will do the same. And, at, and what gets lost in the middle is, you know, the actual message and the actual ask and, that's the beast mm-hmm. that the players have to navigate and they can't do it alone. They can't do it alone. It, it's tough and they're going to need, you know, they're going to need smart people. They're going to need 
PR teams potentially. I mean, I don't know if they're going to take it this far, but you know, political advisors, consultants, and again, if they can get the ownership and the NBA on the same page, then that's a beast they can potentially navigate through. But at this moment, that's that's the unfortunate thing is this whole thing could just end up being a couple news stories for a couple days for the right for the right media. Uh, news orgs to decipher their way and for the left media sources to decipher it their way right so yeah i yeah i agree again so that that is the challenge though is how do you make this not something that only lasts a few days Mm -hmm. how how do you as the nba players now and and really just as an organization with the front office uh, the executives everybody like how does this become a powerful message the powerful message that you want to send not just a one day two day thing yeah I think that I mean, I think I yeah, was gonna say I, go I think that transcends a good point in that there's another there's another factor here that I hadn't really thought about until just right now and I think it's sort of the X factor and that's the corporate world as well sponsorships like again mm-hmm. they, we haven't seen any sponsor backlashes like we would in the past where it was like well don't speak politically like that's not something we want to be a part of yeah but, I mean we're talking about the biggest sports brand Nike just you know endorsing Kaepernick and his message and. We haven't seen any mm-hmm. backlash yet from any of the the sponsorships, and honestly, I don't think that that we will, considering the the way corporate world reacted just a couple of months ago. And I think that's also a strong ally here for the players. And and I and if if I'm a brand, it's it's sort of like something you got to work with, and and they shouldn't work against because when we look at the players, like their brand equity, their individual equity to, you know, to speak on marketing terms is higher than it's ever been before. Uh, A guy like LeBron commands just as much value as the Laker name does. You know, Giannis, Mm -hmm. I would argue creates more, has more weight than the Milwaukee Bucks name. Uh, Yeah. So I think (laughs) if these guys feel strongly a certain way, then I, I honestly think that they can continue to push their sponsors a certain way too. And I think, uh, and at least in American culture, like brands are so so key to our culture as well. So I think those are those are big allies too in keeping the message alive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think yeah, through whatever means, commercial, continuing to endorse these players and giving them more spotlight on maybe their brand channels or their advertising channels. I think is definitely a big way that we could do that. But I mean. Like you said, these players are bigger than the brands that they support in, in a lot of cases uh, with, with just like the more high profile ones, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're role models for millions of Americans, then not even just Americans, like billions of people, honestly. Like, like so like you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't know who LeBron James is. Yeah. Right. So when you're talking about a guy with that much magnitude in the world, whatever he does is put under a microscope. And so this is just a huge opportunity for him. Like for him to say he wants to sit out the season, that's going to make news everywhere. Like CNN is going to pick up the story. Fox news is going to pick up the story. Global news networks are going to pick up the story. And so it's all about planning it out and doing the next step correctly, because you can lose your platform really quickly too, in this day and age, because with social media, with technology how fast everything works obviously we know things don't last very long Mm -hmm. and people just want kind of want things to return to the norm as quickly as possible so in that way if the season were to end would that have more of a positive effect on giving these players the platform that they need to get these messages out or would it negatively affect it 
And that that's a really hard question to answer. And I, I'd be curious to hear, see what you think about it. My opinion is that if they postpone for a little bit for the short term, I think that did a lot to create huge waves because it made national news, obviously, immediately. But if the season were just to disappear and these players weren't playing basketball or like they weren't on national TV on a consistent basis, like because they wouldn't be for any reason except for maybe ESPN, then I don't feel like the message gets across as broadly or as strongly. Whereas I think this is good for the short term, but I think the season needs to continue and some some sort of change needs to happen where they they do even obviously they're doing so much already with having black lives matter on the court with the jersey messages with all the all the messages in the commercials about black lives matter they they've done so much for that in those different ways but what what else needs to happen for that next step i don't know what that is but they need to do something but the season i think needs to continue for these players to have that platform because obviously players like lebron like Giannis to an extent, they can still have that platform, but some of these other players can't. Like George Hill doesn't make any news <laughs> unless this happens. So I think they need to stay on the air. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's real consequences to the season ending and those consequences affect all of these players differently. Of course, also affect the bottom line employees of the NBA, of the networks, all the producers and all those people. I mean, we already saw a lot of these people take hits with the bubble concept. So with the season ending in its entirety, we're talking real consequences financially, of course, immediately would be the cap, the caps that the teams have access to NBA revenue, network revenues, people probably losing their jobs or at least being furloughed. Uh, and, and I don't think all the players would be on the same page when it comes to something like that. So I think just to, for that to come out, you know, in the next few days, I think is unrealistic. And in fact, I probably feel like it would really do more harm to the collective player group than, than good. So I think they need to tread closely, uh, on terms of, in terms of that. And my personal opinion is, yeah, I agree with you, Sean. Like I think ending the season wouldn't be the best step forward for these guys. I think a boycott right now in the short term and just getting some action steps out there, getting get, getting those action steps out and known to the media and to the public and to the fan, like this is what we want. This is what I think, this is what we think is the best step forward, like pressuring the attorney general, pushing ownership to ownership groups to really start aligning more with the political beliefs and, and wants uh, that the players want. Like those are immediate steps, but to really just end the season until some sort of police reform legislative action it gets passed, I think is super unrealistic just given how slow the political process really is and really the obstacles that they'd be up against. And again, like I think in tough times, especially for these guys, their best bet is to continue to lean on what they do best and what they do best is play basketball better than anybody else on the planet. <laughs> and I think when they do that, they get, they get all the eyeballs in the world. And then I think, then leveraging that and pivoting that to continue to make the messaging heard. Cause I think the NBA is on their side on totally branding the league in, in a way that pushes for, for, for these types of reform, black lives matter, uh, you know, on the core uh, it's, it's in the discussions, you know, all, all the T uh, everybody announcers, broadcasters, reporters, like the big reporters were, they're all aligned on this message. So I think to continue that, experience moving forward I think is really in the better interest of the players and the league 
Yeah, so, yeah, I totally agree with you. And then, to that point, say, like, okay, they feel like ending the season is not the right choice. How do you, as the players, as the coaching staff, hype yourself up to play these playoff games that would, in a normal year, mean so much when it's not even at the forefront of your mind? Like, especially if we were even to talk about just them starting it up for the first couple games, like... You don't want to play basketball. Like, we, we just read that quote. None of them want to play right now. So, I don't even know what that would look like. It's like, you're being, you're like, yeah, we'll play, but, like, we don't really care about it. We'd rather just talk about this messaging. Like, that, I, I just don't know what that that middle ground looks like between actually being competitive in the game versus getting your message out. Yeah, and I mean that's the human element that's so hard to predict sometimes. Obviously, because we're we can I we're empathetic and I respect their decisions. And if they want to take a break, like if that's a week, if that's two weeks, like that's a month. I think that's that's fair and reasonable. But it's like it's really hard to say what that is, what that middle ground is. And we can be as empathetic as we want and understanding, but we have to really get inside their their emotions and the players collectively how how they all feel about when to continue playing and and if they want to continue because you're right it, it's it's a hard thing to wrap your head around where it's like this happened this is how we feel and in you know a couple of days or in next week we we got to get back and start playing competitive basketball and get back into that high high gear of competitiveness and physical shape again that's tough and it's really tough and I, I'm not going to pretend to know like you know pretend like I know what that feels like or like I've done that in some at some point in my own life or something like and I don't think a lot of people have so yeah I mean it, it's tough and that's the human element of this whole thing and and I think that's the theme of our podcast too I continue seeing that is that it's empathy it's sort of understanding and and knowing that there's an unknown here and that that human element is the unknown and these next days are going to really show what what how that's going to unravel because I honestly don't really know what the what the best time frame is and what that's gonna look like. Like, I, I personally think it's best that they start playing, um, but I, again, I don't know what would be the best break. I guess you could say, and and how that return looks like. Yeah, I feel like it would be at least a few weeks before they feel comfortable because this was a big statement. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna make this big statement and stick to it you're not going to come back and play a few days later. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any sense, especially just even from their own personal emotional state, it doesn't make sense. And from from an outsider looking in, it's like, okay, why did you just miss one game's essentially worth of time? You know? Like, that's not the message you were trying to send. We thought you guys were not even going to play at all. So I think to at least put it off for a few weeks might make the most sense so they can figure out exactly what the next steps are because obviously they want to save the season because of, of the financial reasons and also because because of the reasons we mentioned before with the platform that they get. It's probably the right choice to keep the season going, but it can't come back the same as it was before, which is crazy to me because it was still unlike any season we've ever had. Mm-hmm with all, all the social injustice messages and the bubble because of COVID, it, it's unreal. And then you have to change it up again now. Maybe not, obviously not to the same extreme extent that it happened the first time, but 
with this it's like you can't do nothing now you can't you can't go back to be like oh yeah we're just gonna start playing again like something's gotta happen i don't think it's gonna have a decision by the board of governors tomorrow i don't think they're gonna know what to do like they're probably panicking i'm sure it's like what like how what can we possibly do to make this better in our power like i wouldn't obviously i'm not in their position so i'm not as educated on all the issues but i don't think you can solve this in two days like i feel like this takes some serious time it took them four months to figure out the bubble situation and i just don't see how this is gonna be that much quicker yeah i mean i think i think at best i'm gonna throw something out there and there's nothing back it up i think at best <laughs> it's gonna be like three weeks at worst three weeks? okay I think the season's over. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Obviously, that's the worst case scenario, and it, uh, yeah, I just yeah, I think we both think it's pretty unlikely, though. Yeah, I think I think we'll I think we'll have a better idea once the players can formulate a plan, and if there is no plan within the next few days of you know actionable steps like the players have really expressed, and then the season's probably over. Um, I'll, I think I feel that's the way I feel, but I don't think that's likely. I think in the next few days, we'll see what the players envision or what the NBA as a whole envisions. And I think we'll have a better idea of what's, what, what is actually happening next in terms of, in terms of actual real world implications and, and the, and the status for the NBA season. But other, other than, mm-hmm. and you know, just to sum it up, it's, it's wild times, man. Again, a chapter in a history book <laughs> literally right now. We are living. Mm-hmm. We got through the beginning of it. We are in the middle of the chapter. And now we're just unsure of like what's next. Uh, I think we're far away from the conclusion of the chapter. We're probably in the meat of the middle parts where, you know, this is the que- the questions on like what's happening right now is going to be 60% of the chapter for this for the year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Like... This is just madness. It's all... It's not anything I ever expected to talk about, honestly. Especially on this podcast, where it's supposed to be about sports. <laughs> but everything's become so intertwined these days. It's... Man, life's so unexpected. Right. And it's funny, yeah. On this podcast, we've had to you know, dig up tidbits and, and information on COVID and uh, police reform and uh, you know all this different <laughs> stuff. And and I mean it's just it's just the way it is and it's the the part of the world that we it's the part of time that we live in right now it's everything is inter intertwined and to pretend that it's not is you know it's 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 folly yeah it's yeah it's folly it's idiotic it's uh it's ignoring you know it's ignorant having your head in the sand and mm-hmm. this is all very real and again like I think the theme of this podcast episode the more I thought about what we were going to talk about i was like empathy i think is the the thing here is so this is a, mm-hmm. this is a human driven uh sports a human driven uh you know experience that we watch on tv and you know experience via social media with other people so i think understanding that we this is an unknown there is an unknown element here and that's the human element here and we'll find out the next few days on what to expect next um mm-hmm. feels kind of weird switching trying to switch gears now to the first round <laughs> review but I guess we can try it, Sean. We can try it because I mean, uh, we yeah, we'll we'll touch on stuff. It won't it won't be as detailed as we would have normally gotten into it, but I, we we just we gotta want to talk a little basketball just to have a little fun here. Um, you know, just 
just go over go over what it's been going because the last week has always been really fun for us yeah and that yeah obviously this this changes things a lot but let, let's just touch on some of how these first round series have been going because i think our, our understanding of what we know which is not very much right now is that it's unlikely that the season's going to end so where we review it right now it will likely be picked back up eventually so it's at least good to go over a little bit i think yeah no you're totally totally right because i mean uh you know this the 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 last you know 40 minutes that we've talked aside this first round um it was okay you know it was okay however (laughs) it has had its nuggets of like pretty damn exciting basketball like Let's get. Let's just. Was that Nuggets pun intentional or no? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say yes and pretend that that I had that in yeah. mind. Yeah, <laughs> good job. <laughs> I didn't have that in mind actually, but uh, you know, we the first category here is I called it the sweeps. Uh, I think we saw these coming. I think maybe you you thought there was gonna be a game five in one of these, Sean. I don't. I don't know. I thought there was gonna be a game five in all of these. To be truthful, <laughs> I, I, the, honestly, it's it's funny because the only one that isn't a sweep in this conference was the one that I thought was gonna be the only sweep in the conference. <laughs> Which one was that one? Right. The Bucks. Oh, the Bucks. I thought the Bucks was gonna be the only sweep in the conference, but turns out it was the other three. I should have known. Yeah, I can't. I was a little. I was a little ambitious with the Nets one. I'll give you that. I just. I really love the way they played against the Blazers in that last game. I wanted to throw them a bone, but they did not. They did not answer the call. Yeah, <laughs> that that was a little. That was a little gutsy prediction. But yeah, I mean Raptors sweeping the Nets. I mean it's total just humiliation. I mean. I guess Sean, you were the, maybe one of the few believers, and I'm sure there were some others. But. <laughs> I like how you call me a believer that they just win one game. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I mean, it's like they were like getting clobbered by like 20 points each game. Like it seemed like there was no there was no shot here. And Fred Van Fleet averaging 25 points per game, 17 for 31 from three in the first three games. Like this team is just they're they're in playoff mode and. Uh, I mean, you got the unknown right now with Kyle Lowry potentially maybe being out the a few games next mm. round. But outside of that, I think business. I think they 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 took care of business as I saw and as I saw, you know, a clean sweep of yeah the Nets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Everything aside, I think the Raptors were looking like they were going to defend their title. Like, if I'm if I was to make a prediction um, right now. I think the Raptors would be the Eastern Conference finalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, the Bucks look pretty good now that they've straightened the, straightened out. Um, the Celtics Heat look great, but at the Raptors, man, like they are the definition of team basketball. Like they they go so many guys deep, and they're all solid pieces, and they're so well coached. I I love the team, honestly. Like it, it part of me wishes Kawhi was there because. They honestly deserve him. <laughs> the Clippers maybe not deserve him as much, but this Raptors team, man, they're so resilient. Um, I love the way they play. I, I do love team basketball way more than superstar basketball because it's just isolation, isolation, whatever, super boring. Raptors, they get the ball around. They're all great teammates, it seems, and, and it's just way more fun to watch, I think, a team pass the ball around and be unselfish versus just like give the ball to the best player. It is interesting, yeah, seeing the breakdown, how some of these teams play. It is almost totally like watching a different game from the Raptors, you know, 
uh, to the Lakers, their two man game and the, and the Clippers, you know, I guess have kind of a two man game as well, but mm-hmm. the jazz is just totally Donovan Mitchell. ISO yeah. <laughs> the Rockets is just Arden ISO. It's just, it is, it yeah. is crazy, but the Celtics, let's go to the Celtics Sixers. Oh man. I, I, I thought the Sixers were going to be such a, you know, badass team this year. And they, I, no, we all did, yeah, man. But like they were just have not, they didn't look good from the start of the bubble. And I think a lot of people saw this coming too. And they just, Tobias Harris, just totally a no Ugh. show highest paid player on the court. And he'll be the highest paid player for this team next year as well. And just totally a no show. And all Horford again, I think I called this the worst contract <laughs> the year that he signed this. Yep. I think you That was a great prediction. <laughs> yeah. I think you said Harrison Barnes, which was also pretty bad, but uh, yeah, I still stick to that, by the way. But this is the, <laughs> and this this is the situation that I saw happening, and that's why I called it the worst, mm-hmm. because the consequences that this contract would have on this team would be greater than Harrison Barnes's contract in that Al Halford was out there tw- and you know getting paid twenty six million. Uh, and he averaged seven Oof. points, 48% from the field, 57% from the free throw line, and seven rebounds in the playoffs. This is what you signed this guy up for, and he did Ugh. not show up. And now you got him for three more years, and he's getting older. And now his contract, Tobias Harris's contract, has made this team extremely inflexible in terms of uh, figuring out ways to to get it better. Like Al Hofford has no trade value. Tobias might have just really... Mm-hmm done damage to his own this this year and bad uh, it's it take a deep breath 76ers because the process is going to be long again <laughs> oh no another process <laughs> oh gosh yeah i mean tobias harris a fan favorite of this podcast just one of our favorite players that we love talking about and it's been painful to see him in philadelphia because he does not belong there he was amazing on the clippers he thrived in the role that we gave him with the great coaching, a good team foundation around him, he was an amazing player. You put him on this team with I just Brett Brown. I mean, he he got fired. Obviously, he just was never the right coach for this team. And I think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid just have bad chemistry. Tobias Harris's role on this team is very questionable at best because they try to make him a spot up shooter, and, and that just is not the player that he is. He needs to be a primary ball handler and playmaker. So I, I just never saw that working out. Um, but props to the Celtics team, man. Like, obviously, the Sixers still had Joel Embiid, who put up huge stat lines, but they came out and they balled. Jason Tatum looked amazing. Kemba Walker looked fantastic. And, and it sucks that Gordon Hayward got injured. Um, but this team is still so strong, and they're, they're very deep, like the Raptors. And so they, they can do next man up. Marcus Smart comes in, and, and he plays really well. Um, so I, I like the Celtics team, obviously well coached, and, and to sweep, even though the, the Sixers sucked, like to sweep them was still very impressive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they still have a superstar center on the other side of you know playing. They're playing against, and I mean, you could arguably make that's probably the weakest position, you know, in terms of matchups for uh, for mm-hmm. this Celtics team is that center spot. So you go up against a team led by arguably the best center in the league. Um, yeah. So, and then you sweep his team, and they have another decent center, you know, at least on paper, Al Halford coming off the bench, and he didn't show up. Probably kudos to your defense as well. So, to sweep him. It's almost like Al Horford was still playing for the Celtics. Exactly. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> almost. Almost. Uh, so, you know, Celtics, impressive. But the Heat taking down the Pacers, too. And this is another one that 
you know, we, I think we both were aligned in that we looked at it and we were like, I don't know which way to go with it, but ultimately we went with the heat taking it. But I did see the Pacers taking at least a game or two right? for them to be swept. It's, it's, that's a tough one. That's a tough series to look back on. And they were in it for a couple games with like, you know, I like Mm -hmm. the three, four minute mark, but they could just not really get anywhere close, close enough to actually have the have the Miami Heat worried at any point with like a minute or two to go, and Jimmy Butler and the sh- their shooters just went out there and did what they needed to do. And the legend of T.J. Warren definitely lost its flair in the playoffs. <laughs> Fizzled. Yeah, <laughs> that's too bad. I mean, but obviously he's going up against the T.J. Warren stopper, Jimmy <laughs> Butler, uh, his kryptonite there. But I think the X factor for the Heat was Goran Dragic getting put into the starting lineup. I mean, this, this guy that was kind of playing as the sixth man. Uh, for this team for a while and and then but you see Kendrick Nunn not really performing that well in the eight regular season bubble games so they put Drogic in there and he responds he averages nearly 23 points a game on 40 percent three-point shooting Um, just being a floor general for this team uh, at at the point guard position and that's really awesome to see like just a savvy veteran going out there doing his thing he's been here before um, being another leader on this team alongside Jimmy Butler for all these young Heat players, and man, they all they all seem like they answered the call. Like they're all really raring to go, all playing really good team basketball. There's another team like the Raptors or the Celtics. They just play really good team basketball. So you really like to see that on the Pacers end. I'm really sad that they didn't get one game, man. Like I feel like they were playing really hard the whole time. They were just outmatched a little bit at every position and just barely came up short in some of those games. I don't think Nate McMillan deserved to get fired, honestly. I don't like, you so didn't either. have Sabonis. Yeah, Odalipo wasn't his prime self. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't and even wanting to come. You, he wasn't even wanting to play. Right. <laughs> exactly. It was like a game time decision, honestly, that he was even going to come into the bubble. So, like, what did you expect from him? Like, I honestly think he did an amazing job this season. I guess you could argue that you saw the same thing with the Warriors back when they had Mark Jackson as the coach. They were performing well, but. Steve Kerr came in and they did even better. So maybe that's what they're going for uh, with this move. But it, it sucks for Nate McMillan. Like, he didn't deserve to get outed. But hopefully he gets a job somewhere else because he's still a good coach, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he did great things. I mean, he figured out a way to do what the best he could with what he had. And the last two years has been a lot of inconsistency. Uh, I mean, I could see it from ownership. Mm-hmm. Like, you bring in Brockton, you get Autolipo back, and you see Sabonis emerging. So you expect you know, better results. But honestly, this Pacer team has just had so many inconsistencies. Brogdon was injured for a good portion of this year. Odalipo, you know, mm-hmm. barely starting to get back into mm-hmm. basketball shape. And then you make that, that trade for TJ Warren and he emerges. So you're trying to fit him in and you're also trying to fit in Oladipo. Uh Miles Turner, you know, is playing great. And then you lose a bonus, your best player for the last year and a half. This is this. It's a lot. It's a lot to maneuver, and I think he's done a he's done a great job. And I definitely don't think it's justified. But I mean, I guess it's it's the line of the world where it's like you go you really perform under expectations, so you got to make a change. And it's always the coaching the head coach that you know gets 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 kicked out the door. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully he this won't be his last in as a head coach though. But we'll move on to the, this next uh, this next segment here, where you call basically a sweep. <laughs> uh, two teams up three one. We'll start with the Bucks up on the Magic three one, and in a series that 
really had a surprise there with game one with the Magic taking it caused quite a bit of buzz around NBA circles. But uh, I, I think we all realized that was a fluke pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, this is a very undermanned Magic team. The fact that they won that game, they probably deserve to put a banner up in their stadium just just for that, just <laughs> considering the lack of banners. For With real, no Aaron bro, Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, uh, who else? A bunch of other dudes were missing, but yeah. you know, Markel Fultz came out to play. Vucevic came out to play. And Fournier actually knocked down some shots. You know, he's hot and cold, but he was hot that night. And they stole a win. And that's 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 huge, and I mean it proves the point that on in the NBA, you know any team can win on any night. However, not every team on can win any series, uh, you know. <laughs> so the Bucks came back, and that's why you have you have seven game series is to make the better team win. And today the, you know the Bucks are gonna you know should have closed it, but you know it, times are what they are. So the Bucks will eventually close this series out and. They did what they needed to do. They they locked in and played better, and uh, they won every single one of these games pretty handedly after that. Yeah, right, hats off to Vucevic for putting in an A plus effort <laughs> on the Magic, though. Like he's been putting up some amazing stat lines, yeah. like thirty plus points sometimes, like almost a triple double, like pretty much matching Giannis's stat line. Yeah, which is very hard to do. Just carrying the team on his back, man. His his back's super sore. <laughs> But I give him props for trying. I mean, they're they're rolling with a guy named Gary Clark in the starting lineup oh, who I've never Clark. heard of before. Like, yeah, and Giannis is just too much, obviously. But uh, Chris Middleton's going to have to play better yeah. if they're going to beat the Heat, honestly, because the Heat are looking great. Um, the Bucks look good against this team, but uh, Middleton's going to have to step up and be that second scorer because his shooting has been very inefficient. Uh, I've never really noticed him playing that well in the playoffs before, so this kind of feels like this is pretty normal for him, which he's going to have to snap out of because they're not going to be able to, to skate by in in the next series. Yeah, that is worrisome, especially because when he's if he's playing bad against the Magic, who the Magic are not even close to the measuring bar of you know <laughs> right. the Miami Heat or whoever it is that you're going to play against in the Eastern Conference like this. So so lopsided. I make the argument that the Suns are definitely better than the Nets and the oh yeah <laughs> and the Magic. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe even the you know I guess it goes it drops off pretty badly. But yeah, I mean the Ma- in other words, the Magic are just. If you lost one game and you struggled against this team, then I think there is some level of concern a little bit in terms of tact how your your team is playing tactically. Um, but the next series is Lakers Blazers. I mean, all eyes on this that this was going to be either a great series <laughs> or we were going to get what we probably should have gotten, which is this: the Lakers going up three one and just handedly, you know, just frustrating and and just beating up the Blazers offense. I mean, the Lakers are the third best defensive team in the league uh, throughout the regular season. They have, you know, runner up to defensive player of the year. Now we know in Anthony Davis and um, MVP candidate and LeBron James, they should be beating up the Blazers. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't get that in game one, but we did in the, the next three games. And I'm so happy to see that the Lakers, something clicked and they're back at it. And they're being the nuisance that they are on the defensive end with Caruso Danny Green, even KCP, Kuzma playing great basketball, uh, up 3-1. And handedly, I'm pretty sure they would have put it away today. And if not today, then uh, whenever the season resumes, I'm sure they will. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think game one definitely played two roles. Um, one, I feel like for the Blazers, um, they almost got satisfied with we took game one. Mm-hmm. 
and because they were on this epic trek into the playoffs and that took so much energy and then that energy carried over into game one where they're still on their hot streak but then i feel like that gave them gave them the satisfaction like okay like we took it to them and like that that made them step off the pedal a little bit um, probably because they're just tired man like all that energy they they exert in all those games to get there like that that's got to be wearing on you no matter like how much rest you get and then for the lakers it was definitely a wake-up call because they just did not look ready in that game at all to even play basketball and then after that you just saw it take pretty much a complete 180 and then you got that game four climax where it's just utter destruction from the very beginning of the game i mean you had that very poetic moment on on 8 24 on august 24th mama day uh they're, they're going up 24 to 8 in the first quarter which was which was a beautiful moment <laughs> honestly i think i think all, all laker fans and really basketball fans appreciated that yeah i mean there was no way you come out there and you know not put on your your best hat on and the lakers did and this game was over by, I don't know, by like the seven minute mark like in the first the quarter. First quarter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Like, you just knew, like, there was just no way Portland was coming back. And it only got worse from there. Yeah. Um, and then it, it, to add in, injury to insult, uh, Damian Lillard sprained his knee in this game. He wasn't expected to play tonight. And he actually uh, did indeed leave the bubble hmm. um, to get treatment on this knee. Um, so even if the season resumes, I, I don't think he'd even show up. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, Damien did what he needed to do. He, he got this team, you know, into, mm-hmm. into something, into a position that's actually, you know, not, noteworthy eight seat got into the playoffs, despite all everything they went through this year. I do think it kind of sucks that all this effort was exerted by him and, and results in an injury. And now he's got to walk away. Uh, hopefully he hits nothing too serious and he's back firing mm-hmm. on all cylinders next year. But I think the Lakers, for sure. I'm so impressed like with what I've seen, just especially more just like the consistency on the defensive end, because I think that's what will ultimately win, win it, win it for them. Because that game one blunder, so many shots they miss, and the free throws, <laughs> and even game mm-hmm. two and game three is something that I don't that I think can can still stick around. So the fact that they were able to win game four and game three as well on the defensive end on the floor, I think, is a huge encouraging sign. Uh, for any Laker fan and for the Lakers moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about the exciting ones. We got three. Out of all those <laughs> series we we had in the first round, all I would say these three were the no, noteworthy ones and exciting ones. Clippers versus Mavs. I didn't expect to sh- – I thought the Clippers would take care of business in five games, honestly. Yeah, honestly, I did too. Based on what we did against Luka in the regular season game ga- games, he just – was looked awesome, but he didn't look ready um, to go up against superstars like Paul George, like Kawhi Leonard. But we were completely wrong. He was totally ready to go up against them, especially in this environment. It seems like he like we're getting Michael Jordan, we're getting LeBron James comparisons mm-hmm. already um, because of what this guy has done against what should be a championship favorite. Uh, playing on a hobbled ankle, honestly, for most of this, playing without Kristaps Porzingis for two and a half of these games, uh, with the half one being the one where he got ejected in game one, where people are wondering if the Mavs would be up 3-2 instead of the other way around at this point, mm-hmm. um, averaging nearly a triple-double. Luka Doncic is an amazing player, and he's going to run this league for years to come, and I'm not sad about it, honestly. Like, He's not the most outspoken guy yet. I don't really know what his personality is, 
but he's a, he's a gamer man and he's he's going to be an amazing player as long as his health holds up obviously but uh, I I'm really just hoping the Clippers don't touch his ankle anymore. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty upset that Marcus Morris went and stepped on his ankle. As a Clipper fan, I thought that was malicious and I'm pretty mad that he would do that because I'm always of the of the thinking that I want to beat this team when they're at their full strength otherwise we didn't beat them. Yeah. Um yeah. I yeah, this guy is impressive as heck. And I mean, one of the things that impresses me is it seems like Mark Cuban can go out there and be as cheap as he wants and put any guy around Luca, <laughs> and they're going to play good. Yeah. And he's going to figure out a way to make yeah. him play good. Like Trey Burke, I mean, this guy was waved and he's out Trey there Burke. just balling. And like, and Bobin, like, you know, Luca's putting the ball in the right places for him. I mean, Bobin, Bobin can do good anywhere. You just got to give him the minutes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you just, you, you got, and Tim Hardaway Jr. is also just balling it up. Like, these guys also deserve credit, and I think a lot of it also has to do with just Luca and the way his vision and the way he just affects the game and puts people in the right places and his leadership as well. I think, I think it's very impressive to see what he's doing, and I just can't wait for him to have some quality players and just get some more consistent health from his team overall in terms of Porzingis. To really see him make some make some make some advancements in the playoffs and really stand a better chance against whatever team he goes up against. But yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Is seeing we're really seeing uh, almost like a baton type playoff round from the mm. from the point guards mm-hmm. this this playoffs from Luca Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, that's what it feels like to me, sort of like a baton handoff from from some of the some of the better play, point guards we've been used to hearing and. It's sort of almost being handed off right now with these performances, and Luca's definitely the leading the leading guy right now. Yeah, for sure. And then before we get into those other exciting point guards you just mentioned, I uh, just got to mention Paul George really quick. Uh, really interesting to hear how he admits that he's been depressed and struggling with mental health in the bubble, um, but then was able to really bring it all together in Game Four with that thirty-five point performance, which was an amazing performance. Um, Kawhi Leonard just being that steady presence for the Clippers. It's so amazing to watch Kawhi because he's such a championship pedigreed player at this point in his career. He just knows the right decision to make at all points. It just seems like he, he knows what it takes to win a championship and the Clippers just seem to kind of rebel against it almost and just try to be like obnoxious trolls uh, which is kind of their identity in a little bit and it's kind of funny in my opinion because it does rile people up but it's just it's so funny to watch Kawhi Leonard on this team of just bulldogs which is so different than what he had on the Raptors or the Spurs even especially on the Spurs having Tim Duncan as his mentor having Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker there yeah um, but it's made for a very interesting series and the Clippers will ultimately close it out if the series goes on but um the storyline there is just luca is amazing and and uh we'll see if paul george um continues to play well off that game four performance yeah i just want to say you really hit the nail on the head right there for the clipper description which i couldn't really put into (laughs) words in my mind the way i was when i see this team playing you really did it there (laughs) it's that that like Kawhi is like he's such a great player. Like he's definitely a top five player. No doubt. He doesn't have like that. Wow. Factor about his game in the same way. I mean, he does at times, but not quite to the same level as like LeBron or, or Anthony Davis or Giannis or James Harden. He just knows when to do the right thing. Like you said, and he does it consistently and he's done it consistently this entire series. So, but it's, but the reason they've lost isn't because of him. It's because of the other Clipper players who, 
keep yeah. doing these weird things like Paul George just like going <laughs> three for 12 and Lou Williams just kind of not being aggressive or, you know, just like d- Marcus Morris being Marcus Morris. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, you have the injury to Pat Beverly and, and Landry Shamit going super cold and, you know, turning the ball mm-hmm. over. Like, it's just, it is interesting. This Clippers team, <laughs> I like the description you <laughs> described that they're kind of trolling him. Uh, in a way, uh, so I, I... <laughs> they're trolling everybody, man. It, it, like the the Mavericks hate the Clippers. Like it, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So I I like that I like that analogy, and it is something. <laughs> it, it is weird to see Kawhi in that situation because you're right. It, I'm so used to seeing him in situations where in the playoffs, every player on his team know their roles and they play it so well, and he's sort of the guy leading the scoring board and everything. Whereas this Clipper team mm-hmm. is a little different. Um, but talking about scoring, though, we got to go to this series because this this series oh, is all about scoring. Even though the Jazz have a former Defensive Player of the Year, and he, my my biggest thing here was like I thought the Jazz were gonna get crushed because of that point, the mm-hmm. scoring. Like I just did yeah. not see where the math was gonna come from. Well, it's coming from Donovan Mitchell, and he's he's doing it. <laughs> this guy is ridiculous. Ninety three percent from the free throw line, fifty one percent from three, thirty eight points per game. 54 just from the field in general and five assists. Like, this guy Oof. is, like, 40% usage rate. Some ridiculous – like, this guy is – Unbelievable. It starts and ends <laughs> with the Jazz, and they've been able to get some more pieces from Mike Conley, uh, Joe Ingles, and, you know, the Ali Oop. Jordan, Jordan Clarkson, Clarkson making Clarkson, an appearance. Yes, Jordan Clarkson <laughs> just having this, the, the, the string of games of his career. So, huge props to him, and he's, you know, he's becoming exactly what I think – Laker fans wished he would become, you know, just like this consistent scoring punch. And he's given that to the jazz. And I've loved this series. And I didn't see the the Utah being up three, two at this point. Yeah. Let alone three, one where they could have closed yeah. it out in a close game. But who else was going to come to the nuggets? It's basically survival. Mm-hmm. Be their hero is Jamal Murray, man. This kid has stepped up in a big way. And I alluded to this a little bit. Like, I loved the way Jamal Murray was playing in those few games he got in the regular season part of the bubble. And, man, I, I don't think I could have been any more any more praise than I gave him. And he deserves even more than that because he literally single-handedly kept them in that fourth quarter and he closed that game out. I don't think he missed a single shot in the last five minutes. And he, he, like, and he It was unreal. Yeah, even though he won this last game, he almost won the one before that for the Nuggets too. Right, exactly. It, the, the exchange between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray is one of the best NBA stories, like one of the most pure, fun to watch NBA stories that we've seen come out of the bubble so far is that these two have built a very friendly but a very competitive rivalry against each other because I mean it started in game one when Donovan Mitchell put up 58 freaking points on them third most ever in NBA history and you see Jamal Murray walking into him in the bubble just like happened to run into him he's like I just gotta run into this guy when he's put up 58 on me Obviously, that lit a fuel under Donovan Mitchell. He takes the next two games, or next three games, actually, after that. But just, it's been so fun to watch these two. Because, like, the ball's in their hands every possession for the last four minutes of the game. And they've all been very good, very close games. 
it's amazing. Like I didn't think Jamal Murray would be able to step up the Donovan Mitchell's level, but he has. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And maybe I, I still give the edge to Mitchell, but Jamal Murray has leveled up his game and it's very apparent now if it wasn't before. Yeah, and, and the point on Jamal Murray is that swagger that he has, that scoring swagger that he has, <laughs> I think has always been there. Last year it was That's there. unteachable, too. That's just something he has. Yeah, and he's had it since I since I can remember watching him play. And, you know, last year it became more apparent where it was like he was shooting the ball. And at times I remember, you know, I was cheering on this Nuggets team when they were taking on the Spurs and the Blazers in the playoff. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, man, Jamal Murray, God, like just stop shooting the ball like, Give it to somebody. <laughs> and that hasn't gone away. That's still him, except this time he's knocking mm-hmm. them down. He's, he's knocking them down better. at a ridiculous rate. Like this man hasn't missed a single free throw. He's averaging 31 wow. points on 52% from three, six rebounds, six assists. <laughs> and like he, Unreal. Yeah, last year, I would say Jamal Murray wants to be Donovan Mitchell. He's like the poor man's Donovan Mitchell, but he's not Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. This year it's like, yeah, these guys are on the same playing field, at least right now. And I mean, given given Jamal Murray's, I think his swagger and what I'm seeing, I think that's 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 the story to continue. I think next, even into next year, we're gonna see these guys battling it out. Like I said, yeah. it feels like a baton pass of sorts that these are the new, you know, scoring point guards of the future here. Yeah, and hopefully this is a rivalry for decades to come, for a decade to come, man. Because these are both super young kids. Still, you gotta remember, like. They've been in the league for a few years, but they're still in their early 20s. So this is going to be a matchup we get to watch for a very long time. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and I mean, Jamal Murray, too, for all the for hate. People were hating when Jamal Murray got the extension that he did. Uh, people didn't yeah. really feel like he he had you know shown enough to be deserving of that. And now it's like you might have just signed the the next the top, a top five point guard, you know? Yeah, that's a deal of a lifetime right there. That's a great deal for the Nuggets, yeah, man. Yeah, you just might have locked in your your one-two punch, like two potential mm-hmm. top twenty players in 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 the next few years. So that's a that's a that's a great move for the Nuggets. So yeah, doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> yeah, but they're still down three two. I mean, they're they barely inched away that last game. So. This is an exciting series, and I don't know if the Jazz can close it out. Like it seems like the Nuggets can also just have their punch too here. Yeah, it could still go either way, but yeah, I'm gonna give it to the Jazz just because they have the lead right mm-hmm. now. Like, it's gonna be tough because we don't know when or if the season's gonna come back. the The momentum might be totally different. Um, so I don't know. It's gonna be tough, but I think I do think it's gonna go seven games either way. Um, if it does resume, yeah, I could see it as well. Um, and to close the podcast up, let's end with this one. The Rockets and Thunder tied at 2-2. Mm. Two games for the Rockets and then two in a row for for Chris Paul, the Bulldog, man. Uh, this one's crazy. <laughs> this one is crazy because I thought the, the, the Rock, I mean, the OK, OKC Thunder were really going to you know exploit the Rockets, but it's sort of just been this back and forth, and I'm not really sure who has the advantage here. Yeah, I mean, James Harden's looked really good. Um, and, and a lot of his teammates have actually looked really like Jeff Green is having an amazing series. Eric Gordon's playing well. Austin Rivers is playing decently, which I hate admitting anytime he does that. But yeah, they just looked unstoppable in those first two games. I'm like, wow, like the Thunder, like we might have made that might have been the most wrong prediction we made. So we both thought the Thunder were going to take this series um, because of Russell Westbrook being out. And we were actually rewarded because the Thunder pulled out those two gritty wins in game three and four. 
And I think the honestly, the big X factor is probably one of the most unknown starters <laughs> in the entire NBA. And his name is Luguens Dort. I didn't know about this guy. Luguens Dort. I didn't know about him either, but he actually started for this team towards the latter part of the regular season. And I have no idea where he came from or how he found them, but he has turned himself into the James Harden kryptonite. <laughs> and that that's become a big, and like the, the, the closest to Titus knit the most deep analyzing NBA circles have found Lou Dort's defense on James Harden to actually be working really well. And a big reason why they're able to keep these games close in games three and four and ultimately win them is that his, his shooting percentage against Lou Dort is like, super super low like i don't remember the exact number but it's like under 30 percent so whatever he's doing is is working really, really well he's just able to go up against him and honestly i don't know he must have studied james harden like a book <laughs> and like that's his only assignment because he sucks at offense oh yeah he doesn't really do much else except james guard james harden but that's all they need him to do <laughs> hey man sometimes you just gotta find your niche and just stick with it and this guy might have just gotten himself an nba co- a good nba contract just by doing mm-hmm. this i mean i'm just watching this kid uh you know since his name started coming i've been paying more and more attention to him especially in the last two games and my takeaway from it is you know he's got good size he's long he he's quick he's young more than anything he's he seems like a super disciplined guy and i think he's actually you know, listening to the coaching staff and he's not gambling. He's just not reaching. He's staying in front, (laughs) putting his hands up. And ultimately that's what I think you have to do against James Harden. Uh, If you try to gamble, he's too skilled. He's too smart. Uh, And he, he, Mm -hmm. whatever is working for him, from what I can tell, it's, it's, it's working so far. So it's interesting to see if that's enough to really push, push the thunder into the next round. Selfishly, I want the thunder to win because I think the Lakers match up better. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice to see, okay, uh, you know, Chris Paul get some revenge on his former Rockets team. Lakers would be a more inter- yeah, Rockets Lakers would be a more entertaining series. But yeah, I think yeah, as a Lakers fan, you probably want the Thunder. Yeah, to heck with entertainment. Give us the easier win. I would say. <laughs> yeah, I still think the Thunder can pull it off. Um, Russell Westbrook was possibly going to play in the game tonight. Um, obviously, that's up in the air now. He that probably means that he's likely to play if the season resumes whenever it does um, since he was almost going to play tonight but um, that will be a big X factor in this too and if he does play when it resumes uh, I gotta give the edge to the Rockets um, instead of the Thunder yeah I think so that firepower from Westbrook will probably be too much I mean considering that this Thunder team looked like it was on the first getting swept the first two games yeah, right. So we'll see. We'll see how some of these teams punch back, specifically the Jazz Nuggets, Rockets Thunder, once this NBA season resumes and if it does. But, you know, we'll keep our eyes on it. We'll keep in touch with everything going on. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in, especially during this interesting time we are living in. And hope you all stay safe and stay sane and stay, stay empathetic, I would say. Yes, sir. Well put. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>